We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another BuzzBeat episode. As always, we appreciate the support, the feedback, the reviews. If you haven't, let us know how we're doing and, and give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Uh, this is Richie. I'll be joined by Brian and returning guest. I think we determined it was number four for Div, also known as Stat Center on Twitter. We will look at some bigger issues surrounding the Charlotte Hornets today and kind of moving forward into the future. We're actually recording this in the middle of a, a game right now against the Timberwolves. Let me just look up the score real quick. Obviously, it's not going to matter too much because by the time you're listening to this on the episode version, you know, this is kind of be all for naught here. But Minnesota is up 32 to 26. But Div, welcome back. How are you? Thanks, buddy. Great to be here. Good, good. Uh, Brian, I know you got some uh, college basketball to catch up on, but how's how's everything going over there? Things are good. Um, looking forward. Like, first off, Div, thanks for coming back on. Like, a favorite of ours here, that's for sure. And, um, and yeah, if anyone who's listening to this doesn't follow Div, follow him on Twitter. You'll learn about basketball and, and uh, obviously a good Hornets voice, but just a good, like, sort of, like, voice in overall uh talking nba so but yeah div thanks for coming back man yeah absolutely absolutely ryan you know zach Lowe follows him so i think everyone else <laughs> fair 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 point fair point all right let's let's jump into this uh div obviously since you're the guest i'll let you lead off on this question and you know when you look back on the past three four or five years what transactional or personnel moves have been like the biggest disappointment, biggest misses for this organization, you think? And, and maybe even led us to where we are today. Yeah, it, you know, this organization has always been very clear about the fact that they're going to be very draft first, right? That it's not going to be primarily about free agency. It's not going to be primarily about trades, though they'll try to capitalize on that when they when they can. And you know, I think that's great in theory, and I think that makes sense given the market and sort of the um, the history of the Hornets, the recent history. The thing is, though, if you do that, then every single draft becomes more important at that point than it does for a team that is more balanced in terms of player acquisition. And so, to me, the starting point is the 2021 uh, draft. Um, so, you know, I, I don't want to uh, depress everybody too much in the first couple minutes here, but... Um, I was looking earlier, if you look at everybody who was selected in the first round um, of that draft, the person who's played the fewest minutes is Jaden Springer. And there were some sort of mitigating circumstances there, um, but he's the fewest. Second fewest is Kai Jones. Third fewest is James Booknight. Um, and neither one of those was being picked in the final 5-10 picks the way that Springer was. They were, you know, picked, uh, what, 11 and 16, I think, 17, 19. 19. Um, so, you know, right in the middle of, um, of that first round, and you can look at the other players who were taken around those same ranges a little bit later, even, um, and it's not to say that all of those players became hits, um, because they didn't necessarily, but the vast majority of them have become rotation players. And you've got a couple of guys who bring a tremendous amount of upside. And so, you know, not only did it not work out, and by the way, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, like I was a big Kai Jones fan uh, coming out, 
you know, I saw the insane athleticism and I thought, well, what are the chances that that's not going to translate? Turns out it didn't translate. Um, I, I, it, this wasn't just a Charlotte Hornets problem. Like I think a lot of people felt pretty good about book night. Um, a lot of people felt pretty good about Kai Jones, but unfortunately it was a complete over two there. And it's pretty rare that you get two chances in the top 20. And if you get that, you, you know, your average expectation is I'm going to come away with one long-term starter and one sort of rotation slash fringe guy. Um, you know, so you, you need a foundational piece in there. And I think if that had happened in that draft, um, I, I think things would look very different um, right at the moment, especially because what, a, what that would have meant for everyone else in the pecking order. Um, you know, if you're moving other guys down who are at higher salaries than your first round pick um, because he's outplaying them, that gives you more leverage and more flexibility in trades that you can make. And, you know, we're going to talk more about potential trades um, in the future. But one of the things I've been sort of hammering on on Twitter is the Hornets should make a move if, if there's a good one out there. But let's be honest, they're probably going to be making a move from a position of weakness. Like everybody knows this team's, you know, bad. Everybody knows that Lamelo's extension is about to kick in. And so it puts some constraints on there. And the easiest way to relieve that pressure and those constraints is hitting big on first round picks. And so when you've got, you know, two picks um, in the same draft and, and they go absolutely nowhere, to me, that's sort of the starting point of, of everything that we're seeing right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, uh, Div laid it out really well there. I do think the 2021 draft is sort of like the original sin of the like LaMelo ball era of the Hornets. You know, it has like I think their issues roster building have had less to do with like going for Gordon Hayward uh, in the 2020 offseason than it did the 2021 draft. Like, you know, you have including Thor, you end up having three picks in the top 37 um, including a lottery pick. And they didn't have like a great slot in terms of the lottery. Um, you know, I think all the real, like real promising guys were, you know, off the board by that point. Um, I really liked Moody a lot. <laughs> um, and I think he's had like an okay, I'm, I'll, I'll be kind of curious to, curious to see what Moody's career looks like, you know, uh, whenever the page turns in Golden State. And look, obviously like Sengun and, and Murphy have turned into two very, very good players and two guys that could end up making all-star teams. Uh, I mean, Charlotte just mi missing out on Jalen Johnson. I mean, he's the next pick yeah. after Kai Jones. And, uh, and he looks like he's turning into, you know, a foundational guy for the Hawks. And, uh, and look, that was a weird season scouting. It was, uh, you know, COVID uh, sort of like lorded over everything, including basketball and the scouting process. But uh, for that to be your first draft after sort of like lucking into LaMelo, it, uh, it was a pretty big, it was a pretty big flop. And it just ended the honeymoon period. I think very, very like it made the honeymoon period. Uh, it didn't give it like a, the bridge to like the next thing. Um, and, and then obviously like, the wheels sort of like fell off the wagon in, in 2022. So I think that's a great place to start. I think there are some other things you could mention. Um, like maybe one on the fringe a little bit more is like the Hornets letting Malik Monk walk for nothing in 2021. He should win. Like, I mean, I don't know if he should win six man of the year, but like he has a very, very good case. <laughs> like I don't, 
like Monk's average in 26 minutes per game, Monk's averaging 15.6 assists and shooting 40% on threes on like a half dozen attempts per game. Like the talent was always there. Um, and it took him a year. Like it didn't, it didn't really work out with the Lakers, but obviously he's been unlocked in like the five out, you know, handoff hub offense that is Sacramento. And that's awesome to see. But like you let that guy walk for, for nothing, literally nothing. And that's a tough one to swallow too. Uh, I think at this point, like, and maybe this even falls outside of the scope, Richie, that you were sort of like aiming for, but like <laughs> the inability, like, so relitigating it is, is kind of silly at this point, but like the inability to like find a, a trade for, for Kemba Walker um, before, before uh, 2019 free agency, that off season, it's just like, Again, I know like the, the 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 franchise has gone through so many different like iterations since then, right? Like in and, and even even under LaMelo, like it's been it's even shifted a couple of times too. But just like that was the one time. That's the one time and in and look like maybe they'll get to this point again, good, bad, or otherwise, but like that's the one time the Hornets have have had something where it's like that player should be worth a lot in terms of uh, of a of a sell like in terms of a, a trade uh in terms of like getting a bunch of picks and returns and like you know I don't I'd have to like think about like what the like superstar trade landscape looked like in 2017 or 2018 or whatever you know I don't think that you know I don't think people were like shipping out like gobert sized halls you know for a 28 year old point guard or something like that but uh, that's the one time, like the writing was on the wall for a while. And that was the one time Charlotte had the ability to like really like reset hard, do a multi-year rebuild and get like net plus multiple picks. Like, and they just, they, they didn't do it at all. Um, it did end up bringing them back Terry Rozier. So like in, in Rozier has been a very productive player and, you know, maybe they'll get something for him. So maybe eventually they'll get the, you know, long-term, Get, get some draft assets out of it, like way down the line. But like, that's another one that, that does sting a fair amount. And then the last one that I, I would, I would bring up would just would be just, um, and I think we like did touched on it uh, initially, or maybe we brought it up off air, but just like what they did in the 2022 draft, um, you know, having two top 15 picks and, Granted, I know that like them trading out of the 13th pick is ended up get you know, they ended up getting the pick in 2023 that turned into Nick Smith Jr. So that's not nothing. I actually I think I mean I like Nick a lot as a prospect, and I think he's had like a somewhat encouraging rookie season, but just like in part because like Mark Williams has played very little this season due to the back injury. Um, and it took him a while to get into the rotation last year. Like Mark Williams has played only 62 games now in in the NBA um, across a you know a year and a half uh, of of tenure, um, and then they don't have another first round pick from that draft. And the guys that went there, I mean uh, Jalen Duran, O'Shea Abaji, uh, AJ Griffin, Tari Eason, um, Malachi Branham, Walker Kessler later on, David Roddy. Like there was real there was real talent there. Um, and for them to sort of just like swing and whiff that night um, and to do so, so they could pr- save salary. Right. I mean, we talked about it the night of the draft, but like the reason why they moved the 13th pick was so th- at the time they could, you know, a week later, you know, max miles bridges and, and not have the 13th pick salary slot on the books for the uh the 22 23 season. So very disappointing, very short-sighted. Um and yeah, that draft coming after on the heels of the 2021 draft, it's like you know, it's just tough. Mark Williams is a good player and like I think I very high on him long term and I think he fits and certainly he like he's a part of like the the nucleus moving forward with with LaMelo and Miller and uh I mean maybe maybe Smith you know etc but to only come away with that is uh is a little bit of tough and I just think they ended up losing some value uh there so I think those are some of the big ones there's probably some others Richie I'd be curious to know uh where you might take the conversation 
no, you definitely guys hit on all all the big ones. And uh, yeah, I did not go that far back with Kimba because we had plenty of conversations <laughs> in the podcast about that. But in bold words, I took, you know, right out of Div's mouth was the 2021 draft. That to me sticks out the most out of any kind of blunder. Uh, you know, you got one guy who's out of the league and Kai Jones. You've got Book Knight who really hasn't had the best approach to the NBA game. His shot selection has been questionable. He hasn't made the best choices off the court, and he has a long ways to go to kind of make himself back in part of this rotation. So that draft right there, especially with some of the players on the board um, and then kind of missing out on those guys, that's the one that I circled the most. And kind of to Div's point, like th this organization, this franchise, this city – you know they are a team that needs to be built through the draft, especially right now. They're not a, they're not a team that can afford to miss on drafts. You're not a destination for free agents. You have to win on the margins. And I think part of the issue too, and we've had plenty of conversations about this, is when you're selecting like nine, ten, eleven, you have less room for error. So when you're drafting Book Knight at eleven, you better be sure that he's the guy. When you're trading up to go get Kai Jones, you better be sure that he's the guy. So. I think that is the biggest transactional miss on the Hornets' part. And I think, you know, I, I don't know if there's like a specific player per se, but they have not done a good job consistently having quality backup point guard. And, you know, Devontae Graham, Jeremy Lin, it dates back to that those guys. And the lack of continuity is just a big issue to me in terms of the backup point guard position. Like, I'm not expecting a backup point guard to surround, you know, to stay around for five, six, seven years, obviously. But like, Two, three, like can we just ask for two or three years? You know, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. all I'm asking. Yeah, um, and I guess the last thing I'll mention before I pass it back to you guys is, I think you know the, the draft is one thing, but also just targeting the right types of skills. Like when you're surrounding Lamella Ball, like you need a combination of defense, shooting, physical players, especially at those like guard slash wing spots. I just don't think Kubchak has done a great job of targeting the types of guys that complement their best player. I, I do think like part of that is like they they married themselves to the the Lamelo Rosier backcourt, mm -hmm. and that as a backcourt that is going to like restrict you know it's going to make team building like a little bit more difficult, especially if you already have Hayward, you know, in Penn at the, you know starting at the three too. It's just it's tough to build like it's tough to create a like defense that's really good at like containing the ball. If you're starting backcourt, it's going to be, you know, Terry Rozier and Lamelo Ball. Like it, it just, they were always going to uh, be offense first and, and be a defense that that really really struggled. Um, which even during like the best parts of those years, like their defense like got by by doing just throwing like junk balls at opponents yeah. and, and trying to get like you know play zone and get lots of steals and, and that sort of stuff. Like it was totally vibes based on the on that side of the court. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And, you know, I think the the backup point guard, their approach to backup point guard, and you can go back even before t Tony Parker to that, because to me, Parker was sort of an exceptional situation. Like that was, you were clearly getting a, a guy who was finishing up a Hall of Fame career, um, you know, and, and those are sort of unusual circumstances there. But I think if you look at the other guys who've come through, especially since LaMelo has been there, one of the things I haven't liked is that their approach seems to have been, um, let's get a guy who is sort of safe because Lamelo isn't. Like Lamelo is more of the, you know, plays more of a high upside, high variant style. So let's get somebody who's going to be more safe. Um, but I think the reality is in today's NBA, your backup point guard has to do more than be safety first. They're, they've got to contribute more in some ways. And almost any team that's got a good backup point guard they treat them like a third guard, meaning they can play with your starting point guard as well when when you choose to do that. It gives you the chance to have true three-guard lineups, gives you the chance to rotate out a shooting guard if you need to for particular matchups or injuries or whatever. And Charlotte hasn't sort of gone that approach. Now, you could argue that maybe Book Night was them trying to do that, trying to find somebody who could do that. But again, to your point, Richie, like if you look at his specific skill set, I just don't know how the two of those put together were going to make you sufficient in all the other areas you're going to need. You're going to need so much from your three, four, and five um, to plug in the gaps that those two would have together. 
so you know we're gonna we're gonna talk more about sort of what the future looks like but one of the things i'd like to see is to say if this team's got three sort of tentpole players guys who are we're really going to build around um then your identity has to come from everything else that you put around those three guys right and um I just think their approach to backup point guard sort of illustrates um, this sort of combination of, you know, trying to play it safe, but with guys who aren't um, probably good enough to be called safety first, um, you know, and and very, very little focus on sort of, can we think outside the box? Can we try to find somebody who lets us play in a little more creative, imaginative way on offense? If, you know, to, to your point, BG, if we're going to be offense first, then like really lean into that, right? Make it, the, if you're going to do that, your offense can't be 7th, 10th, 13th. It's got to be top five, top six um, to get anywhere good. So, yeah, I, I feel like sort of trying to split the difference, um, you end up, you know, getting nothing out of it. This also does go back to the 2021 offseason, though, too, because like even, you know, I guess before the draft that year or, or that offseason, you've got the sign-in trade with Devontae Graham. Um and and then you also they let that's when they let Malik Monk walk out the door for nothing. Like they actually had two guys, one of whom was like, I mean, both of whom I think it were pretty proven to be like, um, uh, you know, Graham. I think like was a very good like backup point guard, and I think Malik Monk. You could certainly see the talent and like what he did at times during the 2020-2021 season. You could see the passing. You could see the the pick and roll craft. You could see the the pace, like when he had his pace you know, what he was able to do in terms of like unlocking defenses. Um, and that, that stuff's hard to find. And it's certainly like hard to find if you're like, you know, sort of like dumpster diving for like low upside backup point guards. Like those are not, that's how you get Brad Wanamaker, you know, <laughs> like that's how you get Ish Smith. It was like the, the 2021, 2022 season, Isaiah Thomas was like a revelation when they brought him in later in the season because like he could run a pick and roll. I mean, at that point they had traded Ish, and I thought Ish had like been okay for them earlier in the year before he was involved in the, uh, you know, the Harold deal. But yeah, they just they let a lot of like playmaking upside walk out the door, or they shipped it out. Um, and I thought like the real strength of that rookie year Lamelo team was that they had like five or six guys that could handle it. It was a Lamelo, Rozier, Devontae Graham, Malik Monk, Gordon Hayward, Miles Bridges towards the end of the year. And it wasn't, and they just like very quickly went to being like, no, we're going to do more heliocentric stuff. Malik goes away, trade Devontae, extend Terry, Lamelo, here's the ball. And like it just, I, I, like it just happened very quickly. And, and I think it was a, a sort of like misevaluation of where the roster was. And I think if you thought Book Knight was going to come in and be like a microwave guy for you, I actually think that was a pretty big misevaluation. That's like not how he played at, at, at UConn. Like UConn used him like they used Jordan Hawkins. And like look at what he's turned into for the Pelicans by being like runoff screens, handoff guy. That was Book Knight, not like, oh, let this guy, he's got tons of wiggle and juice. Like he can just crack a defense with his dribble. So um, yeah, I, I get it. A lot of stuff sort of can be traced back to that offseason in terms of just like it was a variety of sort of like poor roster management decisions all happening around the same time that uh, really weakened the playmaking uh, um, talent on the roster. All right, let's transition to the past, to like the now and the future. And we're going to talk about how Charlotte should approach this deadline. And there's even a comment here from John Berger's how do we manage our assets in the most ideal way which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a second so obviously I think the Hornets need to be sellers they, they can't stand Pat I don't I don't think there's any situation where they can get out of this trade deadline where they don't make a single move now is that possible yes I, I could definitely see that happening they need to see if they can get off Rozier they need to explore trades for bridges they you know maybe to a lesser extent they need to explore trades for PJ and I've said this before too. Like I don't see a ton of benefit in trading Award, and I'm okay with losing him for nothing if that means that we wouldn't be taking on a contract that extends past his, which obviously, in all likelihood, probably would happen because he isn't expiring. 
And so, yeah, I think the seller category is kind of where they need to fall. But I also think that there is an opportunity for them to target players and to be aggressive, I guess, if you want to call it, in terms of bringing in a player that fits the mold, that has a winning attitude, that that brings the right culture, that has those qualities that I talked about before, like the size, the defense, and you know, just the versatility. And a guy that you know I keep going back to, and, and maybe it's because he's a Gator, uh, is Dorian Finney-Smith. I mean, I think you know his name has been floated out there. He he's like a veteran that fits that role. He's going to be an impact guy on both ends of the court. He can knock down a three. Like these are things that the Hornets definitely need. And obviously, the Nets are rumored to be asking for two first-round picks, which no one is going to give them that. Right? But I guess it doesn't hurt to ask. But um, you know, I, I was kind of looking at the trade machine for for uh, for Dodo, and I, I just couldn't really find a trade that worked. Like Bridges plus the second round pick. I, I don't know. I mean that, that that works, but I don't know if that's something that the Nets would go for. I think Brooklyn probably could use some point guard help, but we we don't really have that to help them for. But you know, regardless of kind of how they approach this, they don't necessarily need to be like closed minded in a way that they just kind of sell off their assets. It's okay for them to kind of maybe on the margins go for a guy that fits the mold. Um, like a Dorian Finney-Smith. I know that Div earlier this week you were talking about Herb Jones. You know, like just some something like that. Obviously, that would require s- some assets too. But you know, it, it's going to be a very tricky situation with the new owners and a lame duck GM. But how do you guys think that they should approach this trade deadline? And, and we'll talk about Rosier here in a second too. But yeah, yeah. So you know, from a philosophy standpoint. Um, Absolutely agree that they've got to be sellers. Um, this has got to be, um, and to me, it's not even as important sort of what specifically you're looking to sell. It's that I want to see sort of the clarity of the approach. I want to see an understanding that uh, obviously going nowhere this year, and there are pieces that can be, um, and that are going to need to be sold off at some point. You know, with uh, with Terry's contract, you could look at it and say, I, I think he's 29 right now. You could look at it and say, you don't have to sell him right now. You could potentially wait another year. On the other hand, if there's a team out there that's thinking of him in sort of a combo guard type role um, or a super six man uh, role for a contender, this is probably the best season possible to showcase that. Um, he's never going to average 6.7 assists again, right? With a better than three to one assist to turnover ratio. Like, it, you know, you can sell him. Uh, and it's not just a matter of selling him high, but I think it's selling a profile of him that probably is never going to appear again. Um, so, you know, I, I'd like to uh, I'd like to see them try to make a move for it. If there's no market there and you feel like you're better off waiting till the summer, obviously a lot more deals get done during the summer uh, usually. So, you know, I, I'm not totally opposed to that. Um, yeah, Hayward is an interesting one because on the one hand, he still provides stability on the court. And while that doesn't matter for this year's record, and he's probably going to be gone after this year, and if he's not, he's going to be back on a much smaller contract, um, I still like the idea of having a veteran professional for all the people who are um, younger and less mature uh, in the room. If there's an amazing deal out there, if somebody is really looking for an expiring because they've got big plans for the summer, great. Let's you know, let's go ahead and talk. I would suspect a Hayward deal is probably going to end up being a three a three team deal um, if it needs to be just because of his salary. Um, so you know if we can extract a little something uh, for that, I'm certainly open to that as well. Um, Miles, like I increasingly view him as a pretty empty calories player. Um, I just think I, I get asked about Miles from from fans of other teams. Um, and I, you know, the thing I say is like, you've got to look past the base accounting stats, um, you know, and that's without even getting into the off the court stuff and what the future of that's going to be and, uh, and all of that. But, um, I would be thrilled to, to get off of Miles's contract. Um, and maybe he's put up enough in the way of basic numbers, um, that somebody out there looks with some interest and says, you know, he could be an interesting uh, bench guy for us for the rest of the year as we try to contend. Um, Let me ask you a question real quick to both yeah. you guys. Is there, is there something about a team trading for Miles and the way that that looks versus just signing them in the offseason? Does that does that feel a little different in your mind? Good question. I mean, you know, I think if he gets traded to a contender, 
The assumption is that they've already got a very strong culture in place. And so I think there becomes a little bit less of a focus on it. I mean, Miles was our second, you, you could say second best and certainly second most high profile player before the suspension, um, you know, two years ago. And so um, there was naturally going to be an enormous spotlight, um, you know, on, on everything that happened off the court and then how the NBA and the Hornets handled that. Um, it's possible that middle of the season, you know, games are going on, you're coming down to um, the playoff races. It might not uh, attract the same level of attention if he's going to a team that already has other storylines, other, you know, vocal stars, leaders, etc. You know, it's possible that it looks different than it does in, in July. Yeah, sadly, I think... Um... Man, it just sucks. I, I sadly, I don't think all like the way it, it's discussed, um, the way transactions are talked about, the way we talk about things like domestic abuse, like as a society, like I, it's not. I think I know lots of people still care. I know lots of people would would like take offense to it, but like I also think like. I, I think a lot of people would just like not care. Like it's sad. Like I, I I'm not. I don't think this is obviously I don't think this is like a good thing, but like I, my guess is a, a contender team is like, you know, whatever, we're just going to take this guy in. Um, we don't care like what fan blowback we get. Um, every player opposing player daps him up after games and stuff like that. Um, it's pretty sickening sometimes, but um, yeah. So it's like, it's not like I don't think there'd be like an issue bringing him into the locker room of like another team. And so I think for a a general manager, they're like, Oh, we get, uh, you know, they'll think of it. My guess would be, and perhaps I'm doing a straw man here is that they think of it like in terms of, uh, getting a a talented young player, like at a discount. Um, and that again, it's, it's like pretty gross to think about, which is also again, why I'm like happy to just like, yes, as Div said, I would be thrilled to get off this guy's contract um, and and just get him out of Charlotte sort of in general. Um, yeah. Like it, it, as far as Gordon goes, like, you know, just like, I don't know when he's coming back. I don't, I don't know what the, the plan. I have no idea. Like he got hurt a couple weeks ago and it's just like, you know, silence since then. So I, I mean, I, I, my guess is like, I don't know if he has any trade value now at this point, because like one, that salary is like very hard to move already. And so, yeah, you probably need to, it was probably going to need to be like a, a three team uh, deal just to like get the machinations to work. And now like he hasn't played since when I don't actually don't remember when Gordon's last game was. So um, it, my guess is that like, he's, he's probably not, getting moved unless he like comes back quickly. But like the deadline is what in two weeks, like this is all going to happen pretty, pretty fast. Um, so yeah, I think Rozier's the best guy for them to move. And, and maybe we can use that to sort of like segue into the, the Miami hypothetical, but uh, like if they don't get, if there, if there, if there isn't an offer that's like worth their while, then like, there's nothing wrong with bringing like Terry's got two more years beyond this one on that contract. Um, I get like sort of like uh, if not like selling high, then sort of like striking like while the iron's hot here a little bit, just in terms of like, you know, uh, um, with with what Terry's role has and just probably him like at at his peak at the moment and uh, and how that could like make him more appealing for other teams. But I do think he will. um I do think over the course of this contract, like he'll, he'll age pretty well and like still be a pretty good player too. Um, it's the one beyond this one that I'd be a little bit more wary of with, uh, with Terry. Yeah. I mean, as far as Rozier to the heat goes, uh, obviously those rumors are starting to pick up. It, it makes sense. Like he lives and works out there over the summer. So there's an obvious connection yeah. here. Uh, the Heat do have plenty of shooters. I mean, in my my view, but uh, they can always use more. I he guess does he does feel we? I think I brought this up the other week on here when we talked about it. But like, he does feel a little redundant there, does he I, not? Yeah, like, especially with especially with Hero. Like, I know they're not identical players, but like, they're they're similar in a lot of ways. Like in terms of like defensive limitations and like 
the best ways to use them offensively. Like you probably yeah. don't want to play them together much. Like, yeah, I, I, that's the that's one of the things that sort of like has me hung up on on this deal. Is like I see the fit with Rozier there, but he sort of makes less sense around some of the other guys that that might. Yeah, as that's, I think. that's exactly it. I mean, I, I keep if you look at Miami's sort of fundamentals right now, you could look at Rozier and say he addresses a lot of those things. They are a bottom ten offense overall. Um, they're terrible at scoring early points, either transition or semi-transition, um, and they don't get up uh, enough threes. But you're probably not going to put him out there with all the other guys who do fit those categories. And, it, you know, so it does feel like there's a little bit of redundancy there. I don't know if maybe there's an opportunity to extract one of those guys, um, you know, but I, I would imagine that what Miami's looking for primarily is um, increased scoring, um, both while Jimmy's available as well as when he's not. Um, and also just, you know, continuing to have somebody who kind of fits into, and I know this gets said so much, but into heat culture in terms of <laughs> and so on. Um, and I think, you know, Terry checks off both those boxes, but I do think the lineups are a little, uh, a little bit tricky to fit him in there. Unless hero was involved in the deal. Like we, we right. talked about this earlier, but I can remember when we discussed this, we discussed hero versus Rozier, Brian, like, a while ago yeah we yeah. we we did like a it was in buddy healed i think was like it was like hero buddy healed trades we were talking about early in the season yeah so i mean i guess, I guess you could do like a straight swap of those two that the the salaries match like you'd have to be banking on like the potential of hero and hero yeah. one more year so like that's something that you have to live with and uh that kind of turns me off like i'm i'm i feel like i was higher on hero than you were brian but i think what yeah, turns yeah. You were, yeah, the, yeah, the extended year, but you know, if that's not the route that they go, I, I think the most obvious way to do this is to center around Kyle Lowry because he has a one year deal, yeah, a little bit more uh, in terms of the money wise, but for Rozier. But like, does this make any sense? Like, Lowry plus a second for Rozier, Lowry plus a lottery protected first for Rozier, like, is that something that Miami would be interested in? Yeah, I think the the thing that the what I'm sort of like most interested in with like these like heat hornets hypotheticals because i agree like i don't think they're look i don't think they're gonna look to move hero it would be hilarious if like hero you know six months after being like you rumored the centerpiece for a dame lillard trade is like the lever you pull to get terry rosier that would be that would be kind of funny um but uh it just sort of like show you what you know how the season has played out but so, no, I don't think that's going to happen. I suppose there's a chance that, like, the Heat could also trade for Rozier without moving Hero and then in the offseason look to, like, reroute one of those guys. But it's just, like, once you get to the second round of the playoffs, you cannot play those two dudes together. Yeah. And, 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 and there's just no way. You'll have to you'll have to platoon them. And, like, maybe that's a good thing. But, like, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's tough. And I could also see Hero being on the bench in crunch time and like, what's that going to do to his trade value? What's that going to do to how, well, you know, how he feels about the organization, et cetera. I mean, I'm kind of in the weeds here, but let me circle back to my point, which was, do you think the Hornets can get Lowry, uh, uh, Jovich for Rozier and then like a little bit of other salary filler, like Ishmith or something like that. And can they get a pick out of it too? That's, is that too much? Is that too that, much? That was another one that I had. I had Lowry, Jovich, plus second round pick for Rozier and Thor. Yeah. What do you, how do you guys feel about that one? And I, I, I don't know enough about Jovich at the moment, honestly. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I think everything. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, Jovich is a, um, a size and skill guy. And I think there's question marks around, around everything else. Um, and, but I'll also say, and, and, you know, in terms of sort of where I envision the Hornets in the future, if you think of Mark Williams, Miller, and LaMelo as being sort of the three foundational guys, to me, the most obvious way to sort of build the team around them is to say, we're going to be one of the tallest, longest teams in the NBA, right? Um, and have skill as well, but really focus on size, and especially on positional size. And so I think Jovic fits into that really, really well. Um, he's a great connector already. You know, he's not, I, I don't see anything there that points to a primary creator, but that's fine. Um, but I see somebody who moves the ball along well, 
make smart decisions. Um, so I, I would I would be thrilled um, to be able to get him. To me, he would really be the centerpiece um, of that trade more than even getting a you know high second or whatever. Like he's the guy I would really want out of that. Yeah, it should be noted too. The Heat are they are out a fair amount of second yeah. round picks oh, too yeah. to potentially like yeah. grease the wheels on this trade. Like they're they're. They don't, have, they don't have much to move in terms yeah, of – No team in the NBA values seconds less than the, <laughs> than the Heat do. So. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, they – Culture. Yeah, right yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they just they just take the undrafted guys. Yeah, they're gonna, that's exactly it. They feel like you they're going to turn the undrafted guy into somebody better than number 35. So. Yeah. Yeah. What is – like this is like just as an aside, but it's like – and I know it's not even like it, – it doesn't really matter within the context of this – discussion but it's like i actually like some of their two-way guys a little bit like swider and in, in hampton um but but like that's you know immaterial to the you know hypothetical hypothetical trade with them and yeah they're like they're not going to move Hawkes, uh obviously and i don't think they're going to put hero in it so like it just narrows the list of options real quickly and I think if you're the Hornets and you can't get like Jovic plus a pick, then I think you just go into the off season with it, honestly, and say like, hope like you know what if this is the if this is what's being offered, I bet that's like the baseline. You know what I mean? Um, like yeah, Jovic and a bad second round pick. You know, um, so I I think I would just take it into the off season if that were the uh, if that were the, if that were the case. Totally agree. Like they just don't have enough draft capital and uh, matching salaries is going to be difficult. So it, it does have to center around Lowry plus a Jovic. And if that's just too much for Miami, then uh, Hornets have to move on as well. So last question, and, and we will end on this. Like when we look right now or to the offseason with these new owners, they've got to make their stamp on this team. They've they've got to make some decisions and, and we got to figure out kind of what direction they are going the only decision they've made so far is to renovate the arena. So we've got new plans for that. But in terms of the personnel stuff, like just moving forward to next year or two years down the road, like if you had to list three things, Div, like or you know, two or three things, what is priority for this team moving forward? It can be, you know, personnel, it could just be an overall philosophy. Like what what do they have to get right? Yeah. So I mentioned one of the things before is positional size. Um, I want them to to really lean into that. Um, I think the other one is any pick that's outside of the top 15, any pick that's outside of the lottery, there needs to be a plan for for how you see upside with that player. Um, it, you know, I think that if you look at the Hornets over the past few years, they've kind of like gone back and forth, rubber banding between guys who were considered fairly safe, but low upside, and the guys who were kind of wild swings, like Kai Jones, uh, you know, sort of the most extreme example of that. Um, I think organizations like Memphis, like Oklahoma City, are much more consistent in what they expect out of any draft pick. Um, you know, the the way that, I, I mean, you can go through everybody the, the Grizzlies have brought in, um, but their approach to, um, you know, an Adalma, a Tillman is pretty similar to the guys who are there taking in the 10 to 15 range. Um, you know, their expectation is we're going to be developing you. You've got incredibly high character and work ethic. Um, and you've got really good positional size. And if you've got those things, like we'll figure out the other stuff, right? I'm not saying that Charlotte has to go down that exact same checklist, but whatever your two or three things are, I want every player at every position to fit those things. And to me, like positional size, it just makes sense that that would be one of those things. Um, I think the other thing I'd really like to see is, uh, and I'm working on the assumption that a year from now, there's going to be a different GM. There's going to be a different coach. Um, I know that's not guaranteed, <coughs> but I suspect new owners will not want the possibility of one more year that looks exactly like this one with the same people there. Um, that's not going to play at all. So, if you're going to do that, um, you know, to me, the most important thing is alignment between the GM uh, and the coach. We haven't gotten any indication so far that the new owners are going to be hands on from a basketball operations perspective. Um, you know, maybe they're biding their time, but it, it, it would appear 
um, sort of given their background that what they want to focus on is sort of um, building an organization rather than on the specifics of basketball. And if that's the case, you need a stronger hand in there than Mitch Kupchak, who, you know, I don't think he's been a disaster overall, but he's going to be a very reactive GM. Um, and, you know, he he jumps into free agency late. He waits on potential trade opportunities. I I, I think you're going to want somebody who is more proactive um, in jumping after opportunities. And, you know, so I think um, that's really important to me. And then, you know, making sure that everything else from a player development standpoint sort of fits with that as well. Um, you know, right now I just see um, – I, I don't think anybody in the organization has sort of covered themselves in glory this year, obviously, but it's also that I don't see any sort of connection um, between what, the, you know, if you look at the last 10 moves that Kupchak has made and then what Cliff is trying to do on the court, I, I, like they're completely disconnected to me. They they look like they're operating at two different organizations. Um, and so I want to see a lot more of a coherent philosophy moving forward, regardless of who you bring in there. It's possible to do this. Like, it's very easy to look at franchises, markets that are similar to Charlotte that have have a cohesive draft philosophy and a connection between head coach and front office, whether that's Taylor Jenkins in Memphis's front office, Jamal Mosley in Orlando's front office. They're another team that I think has, like, I mean, granted, they've gotten, you know, you get the number one pick and, you hit on it and then everything can kind of fall into place, but just like I think they've got a mold for players uh, that they're looking for. And, you know, Franz Wagner, Anthony Black, uh, Jalen Suggs, like they found some stuff there too in in Oklahoma city. And these are like markets that are like similar to Charlotte. It's like, you can do it. Um, So I do think it's important to like think young at like energetic coach that is willing to experiment, try new stuff. And, I hope too, just so that there is going to be some willingness to just do take more than a season. Like even when even the times when like you know under Michael Jordan and Rich Cho or Michael Jordan and, and Mitch Kupchak, when the Hornets have been like willing to be like, oh okay, we're gonna reset for this season. That was it. It was only a one year thing, and they immediately would go back to the churn of trying to you know microwave a halfway decent Eastern Conference team around the the new pick or whatever. And just, I just hope there's a little bit more patience to sort of build it up and do it the right way. Because I do think small market wise, like the only way to actually hit on this is philosophical alignment an emphasis on the draft and emphasis on player development, more resources for your G league. Like the Hornets were so behind some of these places and it's only been in the last couple of years that the Hornets started to like invest more. Like think about what the Hornets G League team looked like in like 2018. Mm-hmm. Like it was a joke. Dwayne Bacon, Malik Monk would go there and take 50 shots, you know, during a night in Greensboro. Um, like only recently has that been like brought into the 21st century. I don't love that they're going to raise ticket prices for next season. <laughs> like it's, that doesn't feel, that doesn't, I don't go to Hornets games. I mean, I watch all of them from my house in Raleigh, but like, they're raising ticket prices 10 to 20%. Uh, that doesn't feel great. Um, especially as they're like in the midst of uh, another losing season. So, but I would hope that if they're going to like, if there are some investments being put in to the team's resources from a, a facility standpoint, uh, a fan experience standpoint, that that is being reflected in terms of the hiring process on the basketball side of the business too. Because, like, it's just, yeah, I mean, like, having as smart as as smart as, like, Mitch Kupchak and Steve Clifford are as basketball people, and they are. Like, I actually think Steve Clifford's a good coach. Um, I mean, he's totally in the wrong place right now. Like, it's it's apparent every game, wrong place, wrong time. Um, and I even think a guy like Kupchak, like, probably wrong place, wrong time for him to be a GM. Because I also think, like, in terms of rebuilding, like the one thing Charlotte's never really done these last couple of years is like, as you said, as Div said, like Cupcheck's been so reactionary. Like they're not rarely have they like found value on the margins. Um, 
and in fact, they've they've like I think they've lost value on the margins by moving a guy like Jalen McDaniels at the deadline last season for no you know no real reason to do that, letting Malik Monk walk. And I think that stuff matters. And um, and my hope would be that like as they try to build this up, that that the new front office would be looking to find pieces to bring in, whether it's young players, picks, et cetera, swaps, whatever, by being sort of like more aggressive um, because I think Charlotte's le- left value on the table and all that stuff adds up um, yep. uh, for, uh, for, a, for a small market franchise. You know, you just kind of can't afford to, to, to just like punt on some of that stuff. And, and largely that's what they've done the last handful of years. Yeah, all good thoughts, and it, it addresses this question here. Uh, John Burgers, what do you guys expect from the philosophy perspective of the front office? And you guys definitely hit on that. I'll go a little bit more micro here just to kind of quickly wrap up the episode. I think, number one, they need to prioritize Brandon Miller, Mark Williams, and LaMelo Ball. Like That's it. Those three, maybe you can make the case that Mark Williams is not expendable but could be in conversations for trade, but those three are the guys. Number two, I feel like they need to figure out what they want to do with Miles and PJ. Like, if they realistically think that they can't keep both or they don't want them both on the same roster, those conversations need to be had now and not in the offseason. And then number three, it's something that I've mentioned, something, Div, that you keep bringing up. They need size. They need to value that size. They need to value players that can actually play on both ends of the court. They also need to value leadership. And uh, so those are my three things, a little bit more micro than what you guys were talking about. But we definitely appreciate your time, Div, and, and thought this conversation was productive, and we hit on all the relevant notes for this organization. Appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks a lot. Yeah, anytime. All right. Thanks to all that's tuned in live on YouTube and Facebook. Be sure to check out buzzbeat.substack.com for ad-free and early access to episodes. For Div, for Brian, I'm Richie. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.